On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, Neil Lumsden joins us, and boy, do we have things to talk about. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I want to tell you a little story as I introduce my guest. I saw this one today. And it's one of those stories that I think if it was you who was getting this ticket, you might uh, you might want to lose your mind. In Fort Lauderdale, Florida, a couple was driving along the highway. And a truck in front of them had a giant couch fly off the truck. So they swerved to avoid getting blasted by this couch that's now bouncing along the highway. But because they swerved, they crashed into a guardrail and flipped the car and ended up in a ditch. Both of them ended up in hospital and a police officer shows up in their hospital room to give them a ticket for failing to drive in a single lane. (laughs) Let me bring in Neil Lumsden. Today, he's joining us for the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. Football player, Hall of Famer, general manager, academic, athletic department leader, businessman, um, amazing race participant, father of an Olympian, uh, on and on and on. He's done everything. Oh, go on. Neil, Carry have, on. Keep going. This is great fun. But have you ever received a ticket for avoiding an accident that otherwise might have crushed your car? <laughs> No, uh, thankfully, Scott, no. Uh, and the other, thankfully, that uh, especially given that I, I ride a motorcycle, yeah, I haven't had any couches or anything smaller fly out of the back of the truck. And always very cognizant of that, by the way, when you get behind whatever, uh, that things can come at you, whether it's dirt out of a uh, out of a dump truck or a or a couch out of the back of a van. I am just perpetually amazed. Now, these stories don't come up all that often, but things along the same, in the same genre come up. And I'm always amazed at how many people, and this cop, I would suggest, is in this ballpark, are unable to see a shade of gray and say, yeah, I know what the law says, but, you know, I think under the circumstances, we can probably explain why they didn't do this. Some people just seem incapable of critical thinking here, Neil. And I, I, I don't know if this is becoming more common or less common, but I think it's more. I, I think I would be in that, if it was me, I'd, I'd look at him and go, really? And just grab the ticket from him and say, get the hell out of here. It'd be unbel- it's unbel- you're right, it's absolutely unbelievable. And his inability to, to read the situation, know what's happened, and understand that, no, that's not, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I have a, the authority. I use your authority in a good way, versus roughing somebody up, possibly, but making a good decision uh, and being the latter and doing that. I just, you know. But you know what? It's it's just the way things are these days. But it is the way things are in a lot of ways, and you know, it's it's interesting because daily, if you, I mean, if you spend any time on social media, and I advise not just you, but anyone listening to do as little of that as possible because it's Absolutely. really bad for you. But if you do go on social media, you are bombarded by outrage every single day. There is outrage all over the place about stuff. And you know what? There are some cases of outrage that deserve outrage, but there's an awful lot of outrage where, you know, it, to me, it sort of falls in the same vein as this. And you go, did the person really mean to offend you? Was the intent clearly that they intended to offend you or are you really trying to find offense here to give them that ticket for swerving and you could easily just say you know i I know you didn't mean it like that you you apologized 
fine, let's move along. It, it seems this cop is doing exactly what social media does, which is to be unrelenting and unwilling to accept that maybe in some cases, you know, th- there's an explanation and a little understanding might go a long way. Well, I, uh, you know what, I think you've absolutely hit so much on, on the head here because it isn't social media. It, is, it certainly is social media. Uh, and in most cases, it used to be any time you could sit down and on your phone tap off a message or even on your computer or Facebook, whatever, because you have the that guard in front of you, that uh, that wall that no one can penetrate and look at you and confront you immediately. Um, but it's going even further now that you have to be careful that someone gets so offended if they were it was suggested that they were thinking or acting like a Neanderthal, as we, I'm sure you know what I'm referring to now, the president's comments about the governor of Texas, and everyone gets offended, not everyone, a lot of people get get offended by that, when the reality is that's exactly what they, how they are thinking in Texas right now with respect to COVID, in my opinion. But we're allowed to have those opinions, and you could say, well, I don't agree with you, Neil, and say, that's okay, you know, chocolate and vanilla, right? Or someone can come and attack me, and people are looking for reasons to slam or to get after somebody. That's, you know, the there are a lot of cultures being thrown out there right now, and and that's one of them. Just, you know, it's you wonder what you can say because someone yeah. will be offended. Yeah, and, and look, I, I don't think you or I, neither of us certainly are saying that people don't say offensive things. Of course they do. Oh, and if sure someone says do. something offensive, then that's fine. But it's the stuff where, as you've pointed out, where it seems like there is a, a, a group on social media or in life that is scouring to look for things that can offend them so that they can then have that. You know, I we used to have someone that was a friend of ours and they had a an older relative. And the, the joke was that, they're not happy unless they're unhappy that they you sort of, they only yeah. can feel something if they're bent out of shape about something. And so they go look for it because that now lets them feel something. You know, I sometimes feel that in this cop, I think I, I bet you, we got to go to break. I bet you that if you were to talk to this cop and have an interview with them, I would bet you this cop spends a lot of time on social media because it sounds like the kind of social media thing where you go, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't care if you have an excuse. I don't care if you had a different interpretation. I don't care if it was an accident. You did it. You must receive the t- Anyway, I thought that was an interesting story. I just hope I never get a ticket like that in Fort Lauderdale if a couch starts flying down the highway at me. Well, maybe I'll try to set you up here in Hamilton. I do know some wonderful police people. So. Oh, I, I, you know what? The, I, it, it wouldn't happen up here. I'm sure our police up here no, would No, no, just to pull you over for the heck of pulling you over. Nothing well, has to come out of your car. Just to... I'll be I'll be behind the, the police officer. Just throw a couch. Yeah, just watch. throw a couch. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Neil Lumsden, who I came so close as we signed off in the last segment to somehow referring to as Neil Armstrong. I don't know where that came from, but you almost got to be the first man on the moon for a moment, though. Well, that'd be all right. Mm. Uh, Neil, we had, uh, and I think, I, I'm guessing every single person listening has heard about both of these uh, people. We had two very sad stories late last night, um, both with very close ties to this area. Uh, Walter Gretzky, of course, uh, father of Wayne, Canada's hockey dad, whatever you want to call him, uh, passed away. We learned that last night. And Chris Schultz, Burlington guy who played for the Dallas Cowboys and Toronto Argonauts and became a 
longtime broadcaster about Canadian Football League. Um, both guys passing away last night. You must have, over the years, with your time in football, starting with Chris, you must have dealt with Chris Schultz a bit. I knew Chris pretty well. I would say we're, we're past casual friends. Every time when I had a chance to sit and chat with him, uh, uh, I would do so and we talk football and, and be very uh, animated about it because there's, it, it was a game that he understood, not only played and, and learned, but understood and had a very interesting perspective uh, of the game that he played and the positions. And yeah, he was a really, really good player. Uh, let's not forget about that. The, the passing is... Uh, sudden uh, at least for for those of us in the area and and tremendously sad and uh, the what i what i'd like to people to think about uh and uh, i think the cfl and their quote mentioned this that the things he did aside from the game especially when he was uh an analyst at tsn with tackle hunger with uh, mm. later and just being that community person um well will last forever. I mean, his impact far surpasses the, you know, the two hours or whatever per game that he may have been on, whether he was doing color, whether he was at the desk. And, uh, you know, we all hope that we do some special things while we have the chance, not because we'll be remembered, but because it's important to make a difference in what we do and how we think. And uh, Chris has done that in spades. And of course, today, I mean, there has been just a, a ton of discussion, appropriately so, about Walter Gretzky. And, you know, I, I think inarguably the most famous, the guy most famous in this country for being a father. I, I don't think there's anyone else who has carved out that niche and been seen as that guy. He was the, the father. If you talked about a father, it was Walter Gretzky who probably was the guy that you would turn to. What I was thinking, though, today is that two very different people although in a lot of ways there's some similarities, but most people don't know them well. They, they saw them on TV and yet there's a real feeling of connection and loss today. Why do you think it is that people that we don't know really well, and it's them or it could be other celebrities as well. Why, why do we feel such a connection to people that we may have met, but maybe not, but we really don't know. And yet we feel a real sense of loss when they go. Why do you think that is? Uh, you know what, Scott? I've I've never heard anyone ask that question or put a statement like that out, and and I think it's. I'm glad you asked me because as you were talk as you were presenting it, um, for both men. But let's talk a little bit about Walter, and I'll tell you why I think I have the answer to your question. Um, in my business uh, world, I I had a company in Burlington, and we did. Uh, strategic plans around business development, but we also did events, big events. And we started an event, the Canadian National Pond Hockey Championships. Uh, it went on for 12 years, still going on up in uh, Halberton, but when we had it, we were at Deerhurst Resort. And I knew some people in Brantford, and I had met some of the people, in the, uh, you know, Walter, very casually, as I had met Wayne and a lot of the hockey players when I was out in Edmonton. And I had a thought that wouldn't it be great if we could get Walter and some of his support, which is he had a lot of good friends uh, of his era around, and bring him up to the, the National Pond Hockey Championships up at Deerhurst. And he, he agreed to come up. Uh, we took care of him and, and his sort of entourage, which are a great group of people. Uh, he became an honorary coach. Uh, and when you watched him talk to and 
make an effort to say hi and chat with everybody. And we, and this was a big event. We had over two weekends, over 260 teams and it was four and four hockey. And a lot of the time he would spend outside down by the rinks. And we had 30 rinks built on sunset Bay behind Deerhurst resorts. And Walter would go from rink to rink to rink and talk to players. When he would walk up, even when the games were on, everyone would stop and come over and chat with Walter. So I, I look at that as they didn't know him. They may have had a picture taken with him, but there's magic in what he did and how he connected with people. So when he left that rank of you know, 10 players and the scorekeeper and timekeeper, they felt special. And when you feel like that, you think you know somebody uh, directly, more directly than you have had the opportunity. And I think that's the reason. And I think there are thousands and thousands of people out there that have been touched by Walter in that way, be it hockey, be it little kids at an arena in Brantford. It doesn't matter. And they walk away and they say, hey, he's kind of like a friend mm-hmm. because that's what Walter, who Walter Gretzky was. And I totally get it. I totally yeah, and, get it. And, and, you know, and we got to go to a break again here, but it's it, the thing about Walter that's different from a lot of people who, you know, celebrities, quote, quote, celebrities, is that, and I've written this for tomorrow for the paper, it's almost hard to find someone who hadn't met Walter. That's the thing that's different because as a celebrity goes, everybody has a photo. Go on Twitter today and there are innumerable photos of people that they are posting of them with Walter Gretzky. Everybody, it seems has met Walter. Other celebrities, and this is a different topic perhaps, but that you've never met that live in a different country that are, you know, huge, that we still feel this weird mourning for when they go. It's, it's, it's a very interesting sociological thing about why we feel this way for celebrities. Although, as, as you say, Walter kind of falls into, and Chris to a great degree too, fall into a different category because most of us did meet them at one time. It makes a little, we're not friends. We weren't hanging out with them, but we met them. Maybe it makes a little different. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Renaissance man, Neil Lumsden. It's easier to just say that than to say all the other things that you've done. Neil, it's, it's way shorter. And if you were doing business cards, it would save you a lot of money. You wouldn't have to have the fold out business card. <laughs> Renaissance man. Oh, you're way too with kind. That. Well, you know what? I mean, look, if I'd done all the things you'd do, I would have been boasting about it. So, you know, it's uh, it's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll do it for you. Um, let me ask you, uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time this evening on COVID because, quite frankly, uh, I think that people love it when we don't talk about COVID for five minutes. But we're going to just for a couple seconds here because two stories uh, I read today, both which serve to infuriate me, and I'm, well, not infuriate, um, I don't know if it was infuriating. They caught my eye, let's say, and I kind of went, huh. And I'm not sure whether I was taking it too hard when I saw this. One of them was the social media posting that OJ Simpson received his second COVID vaccination. (laughs) So we can feel great about that, I suppose. And the other one was that at the San Diego Zoo, a bunch of apes and um, uh, gorillas and apes got COVID vaccines this week. Now they were experimental COVID vaccines for the animals. Nonetheless, the apes and gorillas have been vaccinated. And yet up here, um, 
we're still waiting and we're going to be waiting for a long, long time. And I can't decide if I should be outraged by that or not. We talked about outrage. I can't decide if this is something legitimate to be outraged by. Well, let, let me paint the picture for you, Scott. If you, would you butt in in front of a couple of gorillas? No, well, not for the, well, I was going to say not for the experimental vaccine. I don't know that all the vaccines are somewhat experimental, but nonetheless. Just think about that. They're in line and I'm not going to butt in. And I'm certainly, if they come into the line, if they want to butt in, I'm not going to stop them. So I've begun to, you know, I obviously I'm just being an ass, but at this point now, I am blown away why we are so far behind in Canada and having vaccines available. And the other is, you know, O.J. Simpson whatever. Um, but I have a friend who's down in Florida, a Canadian down there for, with some family and, uh, they are, they got their shot today. Uh, didn't cost them anything, which is great, I guess. So, um, if we had the chance to go down there, we, as in Canadians, we might be taken care of quicker than we do would be in our own country. Uh, that's should infuriate you, uh, more than anything that you, at home, you're not taken care of in the, in the way that we should be. And, and why we haven't got enough vaccines here, uh, I really, not that I've lost interest, but like you and many other people out there, tired of talking about it. I mean, you know, anything I say is not going to change. I'm not going to go ranting on, because it's not my style, any particular thing. It's just, it's a whatever for me now. And when my time comes, hopefully uh, I'll be available. Yeah, my parents got theirs today, in fact. In, uh, they live in Waterloo and they got theirs today. Um, they are in the, they are healthy, thank goodness. I'm very thankful right. for that. But they are in the age group that would be considered the very high risk. And it's a little crazy to me that it's taken this long even for them to get it. Because, you know, I mean, that they're, they should have got it a long time ago, quite frankly. And they just were able to get it now. But you know, I, again, I, I'm with you. I, I don't like to walk through life in a state of perpetual agitation and outrage about every little thing. And it's not even so much that it's these flashpoints. It's when you see OJ Simpson posting that he's got his, and I don't know why that sets me off so much, but it's like, really? that, that someone should there, there should be a pecking order of who should be at the very end of the list. Everyone should be able to get it. But somehow it just seems to me a little outrageous as we're sitting up here waiting for ours that O.J. Simpson and gorillas are getting their vaccines ahead. It just seems to show in some very tangible way how far behind we really are. Well, and, and the other, what, what it makes me think about, Scott, more than anything else is who's making these decisions? When they get into rooms uh, and talk about who's first, who's second, who's third in the priority of you know, for the most part, they seem to get it right. And we all have been told who need to be first and who need, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but why do they make decisions? What, what are these decisions based on? Is it a vote in a room where everyone sits around and says, okay, who, first up, we think this is everyone agree. Oh, well, majority rules. Okay, next. Number two will be this. Number three will be this group. Number four will be this group. I'd love to know uh, how these decisions are made. And, and listen, it's, I also know that it's easy to be critical of those that have to make tough decisions. Um, and it's, you're not always the most popular person because tough decisions have to be made sometimes. But um, I, I would be, I'd be fascinated to, to be in that room to listen to how they go about it. What do they talk about? Uh, the science piece versus the most vulnerable and then the tier two, tier three, tier four, tier five. So uh, like oh. you, uh, 
know, well, let me throw that back at you for a sec. Let me throw you that back at you for a second. Now sure. we're not holding you to this and you're not a doctor. That's the one thing that's not on your resume right now. They'll give it time. Um, but if you had a certain number of vaccines, would you go to people in long-term care facilities? Would you go to frontline, uh, front, frontline healthcare workers? Would you go to teachers? Would you go just to people who are more elderly? What, what would you, if Neil, if Neil Lumsden had, see, I almost did it. If Neil Lumsden had the choice, who would you give it to first? Well, I, I think first off, the tip of my tongue will be the frontline workers in the hospitals, uh, the, the caregivers, those people, more more doctors, hospitals, nurses, uh, firefighters, ambulance drivers, those people uh, are a priority one in my world uh, because they are exposed on a consistent basis. Even in that group, some more than others, obviously, if you're standing in a hospital versus being a, on an ambulance, you're exposed to a certain point on the ambulance, possibly, but you're always exposed in the hospital. So to me, they are, without question, uh, got the number one beside them. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. So we heard this week the story that the Dr. Seuss Foundation or Dr. Seuss Enterprises, I think it's called, is pulling a number of its books uh, from publications saying that there are parts in there that are problematic. And this is not the first time, Neil, that we have seen things from the world of entertainment. Disney has put warnings now on some of its movies and TV shows have put warnings at the beginning of some shows and other things. I don't think there's any likelihood that this is going to stop. I don't think there's any chance that we're going to see less of this happening. It's going to be more and more and more. What is the proper thing to do with books, films, TV shows, music, poetry, art, where there is someone who says something in there is offensive. Things from the past, is the appropriate thing to say, well, then just ditch it and never open it again? What what, what should we do to handle this? Well, no one's ever asked me that before, Scott. Holy smokes. You're getting awfully deep here. I, you know, I, I first off, when I heard about Dr. Seuss recently, about the, I think, six of his books uh, were being taken off the shelves, I was shocked at the amount of money that that corporation or whatever you would call it make on a yearly basis based on what he has written over you. It's staggering. So it just goes to show you that the reach is unbelievable and the probably the intent of those books was never to be, at least the six were that were um, canceled, if you will. Um, there was never that intent. Uh, without, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I do think, and the smartest thing I've heard, um, and I'd like to say it came from me, but it didn't, is when uh, I was listening to somebody, I think it was on a television show, a business show, to say, look, why don't we just put disclaimers? Why, why do we have to take the book away completely, but put something in the front of the book that explains when it was written, why these things are the way they were, and not to be mistaken for what it is, you know, what today is and how the world has changed. You can't get rid of history uh, and you can't change it, but you can, based on where we are all going, correct it so people can see that it isn't right. It wasn't, it is the way it was then, but that doesn't make it right now. It didn't make it right 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. But uh, to me, that's the way to, I guess, intervene in their process of selling that publication or those six of them 
um, in, in the right way because, you know, again, I, I don't believe you have to complete, if you eliminate everything, at the end of the day, there's not much to learn from people's mistakes. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't disagree with the concept. I, although I think that it's probably wishful thinking at this point, because I think there's a lot of people who would say, well, wait a second, a disclaimer is simply saying, well, there was something wrong, but you're still exposing this. If it's wrong, we should be taking it away. Now, I don't agree. I, I am a, I am totally against censoring books and censoring things. I, 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 tend to give people more credit and say people can use their brains and determine and and use judgment on a lot of this stuff. Again, there's there are there are things that are so clearly intended to be offensive. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about things where there are small things or areas or words or or you know where I don't know that the entirety of the art should be thrown away because there's something in there that somebody is offended by. And, but, but I think that's where it is going to go. I think more and more, we're going to see people saying a disclaimer is not nearly enough that you are allowing racist or sexist or homophobic or whatever material to stand. And I think you're going to be seeing more and more of a push for more and more things to go away, which I think is frightening, but I absolutely believe that's what's going to happen. Well, and well, where are the teaching points and where are the opportunities for young, for parents and the young kids to say that, you know, this isn't right. We can't lose sight of identifying things that are and were wrong to fix them. We can, you know, someone said, if you really want to make a difference, start with, start at home. Everyone start at home and look within to see what's going on in your home and what your kids are learning or how they are acting and teach them that if in fact it's not right, that what is right and and more importantly why it isn't right anymore i mean those are things that we can't lose sight of on an ongoing opportunity to get better as individuals and as families because that's where the power comes from to me I mean, everyone says you know you know team sports are very powerful well they're very powerful because you work together you learn from each other you accept people's shortcomings in situations and you help make them better to raise the water level up and i think we have to get that water level up in everything we do and by eliminating something or someone isn't the way to do it but an explanation and teaching points or and those opportunities can't be lost and it's maybe it's not a disclaimer maybe that's the wrong word it's it's an explanation in the front of the book that says you know these are depicted in whatever and it wasn't right and it should never have been accepted but it was and this is how we've changed things so you know again another opportunity to turn something that wasn't a good thing into a, a learning opportunity for others so yeah and, and we're going to have very small libraries and very small netflixes and oh. everything else if everything that somebody is offended by and again, just to clarify, so people don't think that we're saying something we're not, we're not talking about things that are intentionally or wildly racist. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about no, the things where, where that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about things where someone says that little thing is offensive and you have maybe never noticed that. It's not something that jumps out. It, we're going to have small, small libraries left if everything that offends somebody must be taken away. I, at some point, 
um, at some point, I think we have to leave it to people to say, use your discretion, your judgment, your understanding, your critical thinking, as opposed to just saying we must cancel or get rid of or whatever word we want to use for that one. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Neil, there was a story that was in the spec this week, and it got a ton of response, a ton of interest. And it was not exactly what you would call the most hard-hitting, but it was, a again, something that really, really resonated with people. And that is the story that uh, Netflix is shooting a movie here in Hamilton, and Jason Momoa, who many people listening will know, I guess he was in Game of Thrones, he's a he's a big dude. He's Anyway, he is filming here in Hamilton, and I guess because of him and because he's a huge star, a lot of people were... Their eyes, their ears were perking up going, oh, wait, where can I meet Jason Momoa? That'd be cool. You've done, as we've said a few times now, you've done a lot of stuff. Who's the most famous person you've ever met? Well, let me tell you the, per- the most famous person I was right, I was close to and didn't meet. And so I'm going to, I'm going to start with that, even though that wasn't your question. Back in the Edmonton days, uh, in the, uh, even sort of in the season, we used to, as players, do a lot of promotion and uh, one was myself and two other guys being asked to go out and tag team uh, before a, a race out in the Edmonton racetrack. And it was a, uh, wasn't an oval, it was a sort of a, uh, I guess an indie kind of car race for closed wheels racing. This is back in the eighties. And, um, so I, they had rabbits, uh, the car, the rabbits done up and our names on the side and, Way we go, and I'm I'm second. To go, uh, I'm the second driver in this particular car, and we each got four or five laps. Uh, and actually, one of the the Eskimos ended up flipping. Ted Million flipped his car, so uh, <laughs> we, they weren't invited back next week or the week next year. So I'm uh, I've got Donna, my wife, and some friends up above the pit, and they're yelling down, and I'm waving, and I'm trying to stay focused because I knew my uh, the guy was coming around. I was gonna, it's you know, you hop out and hop in, buckle up, and away you go. So. Uh, you know, we do our race and we have fun, and I don't know, you know, whether we won or finished second, doesn't matter. So at the end of the race, um, everyone comes down to our pit and says, That was great, and it was a lot of fun. And I said, Yeah. I said, We were yelling at you. I said, Yeah, I know, I appreciate it. He said, No, no. We were yelling at you because the person that was standing beside you by about three feet away, just watching the race like you. I said, Who was it? It was Paul Newman. I said, wow. Get the. Get out of here. No. <laughs> he, 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 Newman Racing, Newman Haas at that, I guess yep, at that yep. point, where they had a car in the race the following, the next day. And so he's just leaning there, and I'm ho-humming and focusing on what I have to end up doing. And I, nope, nope, don't get a chance to turn and say, hey, Mr. Newman, you know, how's the saddle dressing world going on? But So that's the most famous <laughs> person I didn't meet. Um, I don't know if, uh, I don't, I don't know who the, most famous person would be um that's a great question i wish you had told me about this i could have thought about it well while you're thinking about it i'll tell you i have a very similar story to yours about someone that uh, stood beside me i was down at the u.s open golf tournament because i was covering Mackenzie hughes who was playing and it was a number of years ago and it was at the marion golf course in philadelphia and this was when Mackenzie wasn't a pro yet he had qualified from dundas and he had qualified out of the amateur ranks to get in there. And nobody was following his group because Tiger Woods was playing in this. And Tiger Woods, every single person on the course was following Tiger Woods. So you could follow any other golfer and have a great view. <laughs> and I'm following Mac because I'm covering him. And we're on a par three and I'm standing by the green. And there's maybe 
20 people standing around this green, the entire green, there's maybe 20 people. And it was like a COVID separation, social distancing kind of thing. Like nobody was near anyone else. And all of a sudden this guy walks up and stands right in front of me, a foot in, it's like when you sit in a movie theater that's empty and the only other person sits directly in front of you. And I was like, what in the world? This is, and I was about to glare at this person and I peek around the corner and just as I'm about to say something or at least give him the glare of death, I catch a look at his face and it's Mike Piazza, the hall of fame, Los <laughs> Angeles Dodgers, New York Mets catcher. And I was like, Oh, and we ended up because it was him. We ended up talking baseball for 10 minutes and um, you know, but yeah, I, it was, it was that close. It was either between having a nice conversation about baseball or chewing them out, but I, I chose the former. <laughs> Well, we had, uh, I mean, Martin Short comes to mind because he was a Tire Cat fan, and we uh, had a little bit of fun with him when he came to visit us and spent some time talking with him and got a picture with him and my son Jess when he was younger, and that was a lot of fun. And there are people like that. I, You know, fame is funny, right? You just, uh, I'm not Well, sure. maybe you just answered it. How about Jesse Lumsden? That could be, a, that, that could fall into that category. Yeah, I, I would take that meeting any day. Place <laughs> on Sunday. Yeah, it is. Um, it is amazing. I, I was as I was thinking about asking you this today, and I didn't give Neil any forewarning about this. I thought, well, who for me? Like, who would I say? And it's funny because I've talked to a lot of people on the show that I really have loved talking to. I don't know that I would describe them like none of them are a list. They're not George Clooney or something. But I mean, you know, about a year ago, we had, for example, Greg Brady. The guy who played Greg Brady oh. on the Brady Bunch on the show. And it's like, you know, I love that. We had the the woman uh, who played um, um, on uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, the actress from, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on her name right now, who played Scout on To Kill a Mockingbird. And I just, oh, wow. Mary, Mary Badham was her name. Love that stuff. But you know what? It's, it's everybody, and we started with this. We're going to finish the hour with this. We have more time with Neil after. We started with Celebrity with Walter Gretzky and Chris Schultz, you know, everybody I think has at some point crossed paths with somebody. And you know what? It's, 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 these are good stories to tell that people have when who's the celebrity that you, uh, that you've been able to meet. I don't know if you've got time, but I've got an interesting training camp story with the incredible Hulk. 30, well, 30 seconds go. My rookie year in Toronto, go through the main rookie camp two weeks and I make it to the main camp. And Jay Albrecht was the general manager at the time, and that's when Anthony Davis was brought in. And this this guy, this massive guy uh, by the name of Lou Ferrigno, never played football, bulked <laughs> up. He was about almost 300 pounds. He was a massive man to begin with. Um, we had training camp at, at St. Andrews College, which is down, so their fields are down at the bottom of the school. Uh, he lasted three or four days. One day he asked his coach, look, i got to go to the bathroom, number two. And he says, I'll be right back. He walks up the hill, goes into the dressing room, Never came back. We talked to, to him, Lou Ferrigno, on this show a number of years ago and asked him about his tryout with the Argos. He left out that part of the story, but it was... Uh, <laughs> I bet he did. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Neil, we have seen in a lot over the last year, particularly, even more than a year, but the last year particularly, where it's really come to the fore, we have seen athletes and leagues using their platform uh, as a social point for social issues. And I'm wondering where, if there is a balance or where there should be a balance or if there's no balance or no need for a balance between the idea of using 
sports as this platform to push for social change and all these things? Or should sports be that place that is an escape from all of the realities of the world? So when someone turns on a game, they can get away from all the stuff that's been bombarding them every day, all day. So that, you know, it's, it's, it is their escape valve. So they, they have a mental break. In other words, should this be something, should this platform be used for that? Or is there a risk of using it too much or should it not be used this way at all? Well, I, I think that anyone who has been around sports in general, competitive sports and I'd say starting maybe in high school, but that might be a stress, but certainly, certainly university and pro is some of the people that end up making it a career, whether it's three or five or 10, whatever years, uh, are just, just want to be there to play that sport. They don't want to be, um, they don't want to be put out in front to be a spokesperson, you know, or, or show leadership or be examples. They want to do their job. They want to help the community, which most of them, do they certainly in the CFL? It's a, a staggering number of players that step up and quietly help in the, within the community. But that's all they want. And so, uh, those that are willing to and, and feel strongly enough, and because their position will forward certain things or move forward certain things, then I think it's a wonderful thing. But at the same time, I, you know, as I reflect back, and I won't get into the specifics of this because this has been something that uh, I, I have found interesting right from the time I entered pro uh, because I didn't really wasn't exposed to it in university or even before that in high school is sometimes pro athletes aren't the best example They you don't always want them to be the person because uh, especially with social media now that you can see them out doing something tremendous in their community and the next thing they're on social media and they're making this terrible gaffe, making a comment about something. Uh, and, you know, all of a sudden they don't realize of the power of social media or don't care. So it's a bit of a contradiction. So it's a really fine line, Scott, I think, to walk to make that commitment. But I do think people turn sport on to be entertained and forget about everything else. And if you see said players, men or women out there doing something a little bit extra. Those are great examples for other people to follow and to support if it resonates with them. Like we talked about Chris Schultz and the food bank with Purelater. Um, you know, he did a huge amount of work with them and it always very, very positive. Uh, and Purelater got something out of it as well with respect to community involvement. So um, I think when it comes down to just the sport, let's just keep it as entertainment. Uh, if you if people want to look to them as spokespeople and they and they get you know like the Colin Kaepernick situation which some agree with some don't um, you know should he be playing on a field uh, two years ago and signed by a team or shouldn't have you know there's a variety of opinion, opinions there but if you're going to step into it you better be willing to step into it and take the good and the bad because again based on the way the world is right now and this the social media tsunami that could follow the simplest of comments. Uh, it, I don't know if it's worth it. One thing that I wish there was a way to track, and, and I mean, I suppose you can do polls, but polls, you know, look, we, we, we've seen in several elections recently, polls don't necessarily reflect what people are really thinking because as other people smarter than me have pointed out, even though it's supposedly anonymous, there are people who are scared to give an answer for fear that they're being tracked or someone's going to, mm-hmm 
say what they said. So we don't really know, but you know, in the last little while, we have seen at times um, around the moments that sports have become most politically active, we've seen a, a viewership numbers drop. The problem is there's often been something else that's happened around the same time. So it's really hard to be able to say definitively that players doing something that is being very socially active or some would say preachy is turning people off. It could be, or it could be the other thing that's going on that's having an effect on viewership. It, it I agree with you though on, on, on one thing for sure. And that is, I do think sports runs a risk if it becomes too overbearing or too preachy that people do say, wait a second, I was looking for just to get away for a bit. I'm not saying athletes should not take a stand on things. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I think if it becomes so much that, you know, now you're, you know, we have fights about now, do you play the anthem? What anthem do you play? Should you kneel? Should you stand? Should you put, put off your hat, keep your hat on? Should you do this? Should you do that? Should you wear shirts for political causes? Which political causes can you say? What if I say a political cause that's not acceptable? What if I agree with you? What if I, I mean, the thing that had, that sports was always very simple and I don't mean to play. It was never very simple to play. It's always been difficult to play, but it was simple that you would tune in and watch and you just watched and you cheered. We have complicated it. I don't know that it's necessarily for bad. I don't think it is entirely for bad. I think some of this stuff is really good, but I think there probably is a line that is going to have to be found that you don't make people think, wait, well, I, don't re- I don't know if I want to tune into sports to be preached at. But I don't know where that line is. Well, and I, I, what I don't, uh, I'm not sure about is, do you have the right as an employee to use the platform of an ownership group or a company, doesn't matter, and make it your platform to deliver a message uh, that something you don't believe in is right? Should you not have to go to your employer and say, look, I, this, this is really important to me. Uh, let me explain why and how can you help me uh, reach out and, and make a difference? And if the, if the owner of said company says, no, look, we don't want to get into this politicalness of whatever the topic is, and I'm being generic now, um, then I think the employee should respect that. But if it's the other way around and the employee says, yeah, you know what? I agree with you. And why, why don't we do something? Then they have every right to, but I think that there's been there's been a loss of respect for the, the the platforms of which some of these messages are being delivered because they didn't they just assumed that well you know it's hey I can do whatever I want and that's if, that's that's a slippery slope. If an athlete on either side, whether they're a, a conservative or a liberal, left wing, right wing doesn't matter. If it, if an athlete takes a stand that a fan or fans disagree with. Do the fans have the right to express their opinion that they disagree with that athlete's political position? Well, if someone has the right to, to, to start that discussion by disagreeing, then those out there have that same right to disagree with said, that person's position. Uh, what, what can't happen to me is, uh, to me again, this is where this, everything has been lost with, you know, I might not agree with everything you say, Scott, and I might get angry at some point at what something you'd say if we were having a discussion. 
but I would no more think of, of changing my opinion of you or disliking you because of it and getting aggressive. No, you have that right. And, you know, and it's okay. And maybe during that process, you're, you're educating me a little bit to realize there is another side to certain things and I have to pay attention to it and not be as so lasered in on one specific thing and have my blinders on. So, you know, we become, I think in general, we become better people. I know certainly athletes become better at what they do when they focus on the big picture of the sport and how they can be better within it versus just the one thing that they have to do. And, uh, All right, so let me let me pivot that, Neil, to one other thing now. And this is a topic that we've talked about on the show a little bit, but we know that athletes today are, not all, but many of them are more politically outspoken and are taking stronger stances on social injustice and things that they believe are wrong in the world. And again, I, like for the most part, I I say, as you do, that they have the right to do that. They they must understand that people may disagree with them, but they have the right to do that, understanding that. But we have discussion going on right now about whether or not there should be a boycott of the Olympics. And I have not heard many, if any, athletes who are supporting the idea of a boycott of the Olympics, but shouldn't, now, and I bet you, and I'm almost positive that you would be against it, and I'll let you jump in in a second, but shouldn't athletes at a time who are who are very social justice conscious, who are very much in favor of social justice, shouldn't they be pushing for the boycott because of some of the stuff we're learning about that's going on in China? Shouldn't this be one of those issues that the athletes who say they are in favor of social justice should be fighting to not go to China? Well, again... It's it, a conundrum for some of them. Well, it's a conundrum for some of them, absolutely, because what people don't take into account and if they do take it into account, they really don't know the depth of, of what pulls an athlete back to say, you know, I'm just going to stay quiet on this because the last four years or the last whatever amount of time, I have put my life and focused and sacrificed 100%. to have this opportunity. And everyone says, oh, yeah, well, no big deal. Well, I'll tell you what, those people that doubt that, spend the time, if you dare, to follow a top world athlete in any sport and see what they do and what they give up and the opportunities they let go by to be able to finally represent their country. Cause that's important in this world champion, this world competition. And so it's, it's not as simple for them to just say, Oh yeah, I, I, I agree. And then, well, wait a second here. If I'm agreeing to this. My, you know, my life as I know it, I've, I've basically thrown out the window. Everything I've worked for and wanted is not going to happen. Uh, wait a sec here. You know, it, it's a it's a tough thing for these athletes to do. It, and it I don't sure is. People really, especially understand. this, especially now, Neil. Five years oh, they've put in for these ones. Yeah. Five full years. A lot of these have put in just, and, and yeah, they've it, put in years before that. But just for th- training at full speed towards it, five oh, years. It's staggering. And and when people say, and I'm not. I'm certainly not being critical of what you just said when you say time they put in and people say, Oh yeah, well, sure. No, no, you don't understand. People don't have a clue of what goes on with these young men and women as they prepare for an Olympic games. No idea. It's, it's some sports are tougher than others, but I can tell you what, when you get to the best in the world, it is something unbelievable of what they do. So, 
you know, um, and I've been exposed to that and I understand it. And for those, let me jump in for one sec. For those who don't know, and that can't be more than a handful, but your son, Jesse, went to three Olympics, right? Yes. He went to three Olympics. So you've seen this firsthand up close and with a family member. So you, you, you know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think I do. I certainly, I certainly have paid enough attention and understand his commitment because I I can only imagine, I know what mine would be and and was when I was his age, trying to uh, achieve what I wanted to achieve in football and what he has done. And, you know, at least in football, I was getting paid a real good salary. Canadian athletes, by comparison to maybe Russians and Germans and those in the U.S., are, it pales by comparison to what the money that they get, unless they have some endorsement. So, you know, th- th- they are truly giving up the first part of their earning ability in life, which affects your life long term and the partner you end up with and your family. There's a lot at stake for these young people. And so I just, I, I never want people, I never, I've only, I don't hear it often, but I have heard in conversation because, you know, we have these talks or did have them about saying, well, yeah, I know it must have been tough. No, no, <laughs> you don't know how tough it is. And don't assume it's like those that, you know, played high school football or college football at a, at a pretty good level and then go stand at the sidelines of a pro game. And more often than not, you'll go, they'll say, oh, my God, this, this pales by comparison to what it was like for me as a university player, bigger, stronger, faster, nasty, aggressive, money on the line, you know, your job's on the line every week. Those are, you know, I could never, people say, oh, that's unbelievable. But until you see it or experience it, you don't know. So people out there, be careful before you start saying, well, yeah, the athletes, no, no. Understand their position before you become critical of their of their opinion and their ultimate decision. Yeah, this one, this one to me, and we got to wrap. But this one to me is is so tough because the the stuff that's going on, and we just you know we just had that vote in the House of Commons that declared that what China is doing to the Uyghur people is a genocide, and yep. you know what's happening in Hong Kong. You have a really tough situation, and you would, I think, under most circumstances, say we have to do something and flex our muscles the best we can flex them as a country. And the obvious way is by saying let's do a boycott. The problem with that, as you've just very, very beautifully pointed out, is um, boycotting does hurt people and not just the people you are trying to boycott against. And so it's like, this is, this is a really tough one. And this is, I'm going to reiterate what I said last week on this one, Neil. To me, this is so much bigger. This is such a big decision because it affects so much. That it, to me, it's a giant cop-out for the federal government to hand this to the Canadian Olympic Committee and say, you decide. This thing has to be decided by the people we elected. They're the ones who have to be on the hook to make a tough decision like this and live with the consequences. You can't pass the buck on this one to a bunch of bureaucrats. That's entirely unfair. Yeah, and you can't tell me that this is the only way that they can impact and make, and you know, really, it's, it's about damaging. It's about hurting, right? That they want to hurt those that have that have have done these egregious things and they feel that you know well we won't send her they won't make the money they we don't send the athletes over well then they're gonna they spend all this money well there's got to be another way to inflict damage on your opponent if you will other than looking at the canadian olympic and say hey sorry 
It's just not, sorry. Come on, there's got to be other ways. Sanctions, um, uh, I mean, there's, there are other ways on the, from the business and political side other than throwing these young people under a massive bus. It is uh, it is very very difficult and, and you know I, I, as I say I just I just the idea that we're going to let a bunch of bureaucrats make this decision seems wrong because it's putting it's putting an impossible decision on their hands. This is why we pay our federal politicians the money we do, and this is why we elect them to make these hard decisions and live with the consequences whichever way they decide and. There is, a, sadly, there is no right answer in this one. And depending on which side you're on, there may be a right answer, but there really isn't. It's a really difficult situation that mm-hmm. is going to upset people no matter which way you decide. But this has to be decided by the people that we have placed there to make these tough decisions. Anyway, uh, just before I let you go, I must say I got an email from someone saying, uh, when I called you a Renaissance man, you are correct. Please say hello to Neil in 2009, he made a visit to a fan who knew his career and his kind heart. You visited my mother, Karen, at Joe Brandt Hospital. You are a great one yourself, Neil. So there you go. So you've got fans out there listening who believe you are the great one. I remember that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, when you can do some things that, uh, like I said, uh, one of our jobs is to try to, to do things well and, and make things better for other people in any way we can. And, and for the most part, it's, 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 more, it's much rewarding for me and those that do it than it is for anybody else. You know, and I'll let you go, but the, the, the thing that I think athletes who don't do this kind of thing miss is that, or don't get, is that they are missing out with the opportunity they have that's very rare. And if they decide they're not going to sign autographs or, you know, as they can visit with people or whatever else. And we saw, you know, we started this discussion with Walter Gretzky, a guy who spent his entire adult life doing this kind of thing. And if you can tell me that at the end of his life, Walter Gretzky said, you know what? I really wish I hadn't done that. I wish I just stayed by myself. I I don't believe that for a second. And when you get a note like this, and when people say to you, Neil, you made a difference because you visited my mom or visited me or signed an autograph, surely there's no chance you could say, yeah, I know. And that five minutes, man, I wish I had that back. I really had something I needed to do that day. (laughs) There's nothing makes you feel better than doing things like that. Nothing, nothing, not even a hole in one. Which I which well well I've yet, that? never had one. Well, year, okay. I thought you were going to thought you were going to announce that you got one in the winter time or something. And oh, well, yeah, on video maybe. Uh, no, no. This year at the Beverly, it will happen. It will happen. Well, you'll be back on when it does because uh, you've predicted it now. So it'll be it'll be great prediction. Uh, Neil Lumsden, as I said before, Renaissance man, done everything. You can uh, probably even go online and find old videos of his amazing race exploits. I'm sure they're still up there. Thank you for doing this. Always appreciate your time. All right, buddy. It's my pleasure. I always enjoy it, Scott. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.